Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you are tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I would be glad to talk with you. This is week two of a series called Rooted, where we're exploring how to become more deeply rooted in our own personal faith. Our senior minister, Doc Pattison, discusses how serving God and serving others can be one of the greatest catalysts to growth that you will ever experience. You'll even get to hear a brief interview with yours truly. Let's go on and get started. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I pray that you would be rooted. Morning. Guys, this is uh, Chris Taylor. A lot of people call him Tater. He is our communications guru here at uh, Capital City. And I've asked him to come up here in a little bit and talk about uh, his service and the difference that serving has made in his life with God. So, Chris, about six, seven years ago, Mike Case was here, and he asked you to step way out of your comfort zone. Just kind of tell us what happened. Yeah, so Mike was our um, connections minister, kind of like what Vern is right now. Um, and uh, he kind of, I was 20 or so, I was like uh, somewhere in college, and uh, he came up and he said that we didn't have a group for college-age kids, for 20-year-olds, and uh, kind of asked me to uh, lead a life group for them, which is really out of my comfort zone. It's kind of... I mean, I know that I've been up on stage a couple times, and behind a guitar, I'm fine, but like in front of you all, like it's, I'm nervous right now, so I don't like this, but, uh, so I didn't like it whenever he asked me. I didn't tell him no, but also, you know, that took a while to say yes. So. Yeah, you didn't really feel ready for doing something like that. No, so, so like, I mean, I never went to Bible college. I didn't do, you know, I, didn't, I didn't have any training on anything, and I mean, I know that we, we've tried to communicate that since, since then, that you don't have to do that to be a life group leader, but, you know, then I didn't know that. So. Well, what's kind of cool is it's some pretty good things, pretty amazing things actually came out of that group, didn't they? Yeah, our, our life group, um, we had like 20-something. It actually ended up getting way too, it was way bigger than it should have been, uh, which is good. Um, but, you know, we had some people that, like there's a minister at Hope uh, Church in Lawrenceburg that's, that came out of that. There's a couple people that are really involved in Nashville um, at their church. Um, and then, you know, almost everybody else that was in the group is, is still involved here at Capital City, you know, really heavily involved. So, so it's kind of cool, you know, it, it really didn't um, make that much of an impact on the church as a whole, the, the family of the church, because uh, it only lasted for a certain length of time, but it had an amazing impact on a lot of you guys who were leading in that thing. Yeah, we, we read a book called Deep and Wide in the middle of our life group that really showed us the way that service, like how, how important service was to growing in our walk, in our faith journey. And uh, so we kind of started a service and we used all of our gifts and everybody was really involved in that. And that's kind of how we um, started growing, I think. 
something. Not too long ago, Todd Lane, who's our, our discipleship minister, he kind of asked you to get out of your comfort zone again. Yeah, he said, uh, hey, I've got a class on Wednesday nights that I want you to lead, and I told him no. I did tell him no. Um, <laughs> and uh, then he came up and said, hey, Melvin Bynes is going to lead the class, and I want you to co-lead it, and I told him no again. And then Melvin came up and said, hey, why don't you lead And I'm like, no, Melvin, I'm not going to do that because I don't like doing that, and it's awkward for me. And he said, well, but I'm your friend, man. And, and so I was like, all right, well, maybe it'd be cool. And so, so I, I, I co-led that with him. And, and again, it was way out of my comfort zone. I don't like doing, you know, being in front of people. And so, uh, uh, but it was, it, was, it was really, it challenged me, and it made it to where I had to approach um, Bible study differently. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was good. It was not just the fact that it was, uh, you were in front of people and teaching in some fashion. It was a strange group for you, wasn't it? Yeah. So, and, and, and out of that came a life group that we're, that we're kind of in and where there's a whole bunch of couples and they're all, um, I don't know the nice way of saying this, older than me. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty well way below everybody else's age range. Uh, they're all old. All right. I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, and, and they're couples. And so I'm the only single guy in there, and I'm the only non-old person. You're kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. And so, so but, but, you know, that intergenerational thing was really important to us. Uh, and, and it's, again, it's helped stre- stretch me some. And so I'm able to, uh, you know, because it's out of my comfort zone, it's hard, it's difficult. Um, doing that has kind of helped me grow in the way that I can approach Bible study again. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't lead that one. Thank goodness they didn't ask me to lead it. But I'm able to help, you know. You know, Melvin will lead it or Vern will lead it, and I'm able to help step in a little bit. So you've been kind of willing to go out of your comfort zone on more than one occasion, and I know that's hard. Any regrets? No, I don't regret it at all. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't look back and say, I wish I would have said no to something. Um, and I think that that's something that's really important is that whenever you look back on, you know, 15 years later, you know, you're looking back. I don't, I don't know that you ever look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that thing that was out of my comfort zone that grew me a little bit. Um, it was hard and awkward, and you know I didn't like it while I was doing it some, um, but I don't regret it at all. Have you ever sensed God working in you or through you? Oh yeah. Um, I, again, I think it's those times where it stress, stretches me that I know that he's that I'm growing and I'm growing closer with him and uh, learning disciplines and stuff like that. But um, but you you can you can feel it. You can feel it whenever you're growing. I think. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it a lot. <laughs> Your turn. You remember the first time that you actually had to step out of your comfort zone and try something different for God? Have you ever done that? Maybe you volunteered for Jesus prom. Maybe you were an escort and made you kind of nervous to do something like that. Or maybe you volunteered to work on one of our teams, guest services team out in the foyer. Or if you really wanted to take the plunge, maybe you actually volunteered to work with our kids ministry at some point, right? Maybe at some point in your life you got up the guts to talk to somebody about Jesus. Maybe you actually prayed with someone who needed some praying with, and that can be hard. That can be terrifying. Perhaps you've actually signed up for a mission trip of some sort, a service project of some sort. Maybe, maybe you got to baptize somebody. Isn't that cool? But I'll bet you if you got in that baptistry with somebody, you felt really, really unworthy. We all are. Now I can remember... The first time I ever preached, I was in Bible college along the coast of Oregon about 45 years ago. By the way, it was a terrible sermon. It was awful. Remember the first wedding I ever performed? That was a little awkward for my sister. It didn't last. I remember my first ministries. 
the first ministries I ever had. Did you know that I was responsible for junior high kids at a church in Eugene, Oregon? Can you imagine me with junior high kids? Scary thought, isn't it? Then I was a youth minister in Sio, Oregon. And you can imagine me as a, as, a, as a youth minister. And Would you entrust your kids to someone who finds things like this funny? As much as Pooh missed Piglet, he really did enjoy that bacon sandwich. <laughs> By the way, Lisa Maddox sent that to me last week, and she works with your kids, okay? <laughs> Remember my first pastorate, those poor people. First time I ever walked into a classroom as a professor, my first mission trip. It's scary. It's good. You begin to understand that every single one of us is unworthy. We're inadequate. And for some reason, God still uses us, and that's huge. Huge to know that because God is going to nudge you. He's going to nudge you. He's going to nudge you to serve him somehow. He's going to nudge you a lot. And you're going to want to push back when God nudges so our advice to you is just do it. Just do it. Because here's the deal. Every one of us is unworthy. Every one of us is inadequate. Every one of us is unprepared. Just about every time. We just do what we can do. And then we let God do what only he can do. Which is a lot. And that's cool. Now, we're in week two of a series that we're calling Rooted. You see, this church exists. Our mission from God is to bring people face-to-face with Jesus and then to grow them up into Christ-driven 24-7 Jesus followers. And because we believe that's our mission from God, we try to do it as strategically, as effectively, as intentionally as we can. We've got to take that seriously. And this Rooted series is about the second half of that mission. This is about how we think, what it takes to grow people into fully mature Jesus followers. And so this series we're calling Rooted is about what we're calling growth catalysts. Growth catalysts. These are the things we do as Jesus followers to grow, to grow strong, to dig our, our, our roots down deep, to toughen up as Christians. And today we're going to unpack the second of these growth catalysts, things that cause us to grow. This one's called Serve. And it's out there on the wall in our foyer. If you've got it in our foyer, look over to the right. You're going to see this right along the wall. It's huge. Worship, connect, grow, and serve. Last week, we looked at connect. Today, we're going to look at serve. And we believe that this serve may be the single most important of all of the growth catalysts for a Christian. Now, we're going to tackle this growth catalyst by looking at a story from the life of Jesus, which maybe you've never connected before with the idea of service, unless you've been here at Capital City for a while, because I've connected them before. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, find Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to jump in at verse 13. It'll be on screen as well. I'm going to go ahead and jump in if you're going to be looking to catch up. Matthew 14, 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news... He left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. The crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Now, the news that he heard was that his cousin was dead. His cousin is a guy named John the Baptist. And his cousin had scolded the king because the king had had an affair with his sister-in-law, and then he married her. By the way, his sister-in-law was also a niece, so it was pretty messed up, and John just kind of called him out on it, so he had John beheaded. And now, at least today when you get mad at a preacher for preaching a sermon, they don't usually behead you, which is kind of cool. 
Jesus heard about John's death. He wanted to go off by himself, I'm guessing to mourn. But it says when the crowds heard, they followed where they thought he was going to be going. And so when he got to the shore, they're there waiting for him. Verse 14, Jesus saw a huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. Instead of getting ticked, he had compassion on them. Instead of getting frustrated that he couldn't get alone, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. His patience is stunning. Goes on. Says that evening the disciples came to him and they said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. So send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. See, it had been an amazing day. I mean, it'd blow your mind, wouldn't it, to be able to spend your day listening to Jesus teach and actually heal, see him heal people. And it would have been worth a long road trip, but it was a long day. People are tired. People are hungry. I suspect the disciples are tired and hungry. And so they say, Jesus, these people need food. All of us need food. And that's where Matthew starts reeling us in. Jesus says this, verse 16. He said, it's necessary. It's not necessary. You don't need to send them away. You feed them. You feed them. <laughs> now, you got to remember, they're out in the middle of nowhere. And there's no Kroger, there's no Sam's, there's no Walmart, there's no McDonald's, there's no Taco Bell, there's no BW3, right? They're in a remote place. Jesus says, I know it's been a long day. I know that they're hungry. I know there's no place to buy any food. I know that you don't have the food with you. So you feed them. <laughs> now, the disciples have just entered a place where every single one of us has been. Probably many times. You look around. You see a problem. You look around and you see some needs that need to be met. So your heart starts beating a little bit faster because you want something done about it, right? You want something done. And sometimes when you become aware that something needs to be done, you get this little conviction. You feel this little bit of a nudge. You'll hear a whisper from God. You're right. Something needs to be done. So do it. Go do something about it. And your reaction is, <clears throat> there's no way, God. You see, I don't meet needs like that. I pray for those kinds of needs, right? My job is to pray for them. I'll do my job by praying that you're going to send somebody, God, right? God, I need you to send somebody to provide food for that family. I need you to send somebody to go to the hospital to sit with her. I need you to send somebody to work with those preschool kids. I need you to send somebody to, to teach those middle school boys. Send someone to be there for that guy whose life is falling apart. For that single mom who's just completely out of gas. God, I heard him talking about those needs. I know they need help. I'm praying that you send exactly the right person for that person. Break someone's heart. Please, God. Ever prayed that kind of a prayer? And as a response to that kind of a prayer, did you ever feel God keep on nudging on you? I want you to do it. And we push back. No, no, I'm a prayer warrior, God. I'm not the right man for this job. I didn't train for it. I don't have the experience to do what you're asking me to do. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. They might ask some questions that I don't know how to answer. I might embarrass the both of us, God, right? And we make our excuses, and there are times when it feels like that nudge is still there. It's not really a voice. Just a conviction, a nudge that just won't go away easily. And it kind of feels like God keeps on telling you, I want you. I want you to do it. I want you to meet that need. 
So the disciples started doing what we do sometimes when we feel God's nudge. They start making their excuses, and their excuses are great. They're magnificent excuses. I'd have accepted them. Verse 17, but Jesus, we've only got five loaves of bread, and we've only got two fish. Seriously, Jesus, right? Thousands of hungry people here. We can't. We're not equipped. We are not the right people for this job. And probably when Jesus turned his head, they kind of rolled their eyes at him a little bit, right? What do you mean you do it? How stupid is that? Jesus says, verse 18, well, bring him here. Bring me the bread and the fish. Bring me what you've got. Now, you don't want to miss this because this is huge. Jesus says, just bring me what you have. I didn't even finish college. Well, just bring me what you've got. Well, I don't know much of the Bible. I'm kind of new at this. Well, just bring me what you've got. But God, I don't have a whole lot of time. God, I don't have a whole lot of money. Bring me what you have. Well, they might ask some questions that I can't answer. Well, bring me the answers you've got. So he's looking at him, and they do it. They bring Jesus five small loaves of bread, two small fish. Jesus breaks them up and gives each one of them a half a loaf of bread and two or three fish sticks to feed this crowd, about 5,000 men, not even counting the women and the children. I mean, so far, all that Jesus had done is hand them back what they had handed to him, right? And they're standing there with enough food for a snack, maybe, for the group of them. And Jesus looks at him and he says, now feed him, feed him. Now I need you to listen to this part because this is really big. Jesus didn't need their help. Jesus did not need their help. He was God. And God's pretty good at working miracles, right? I mean, Jesus could have fed him himself. Remember in the Old Testament, there's a story about manna that he made rain from heaven, right? Quail that he brought in in mass quantities, He could have done anything he wanted to feed these people. He could have snapped his finger and had a truckload of BLTs, right? Right on the spot. He's God. And he says, you feed them. Even though they don't have the resources to get it done. So what'd they do? They did all that they knew how to do. They had no clue how to feed a crowd of this size with five loaves of bread and two fish. So they just started serving the food they had. They just started doing what they could do. Verse 19, the disciples distributed the bread and the fish to the people, trusting Jesus to do what only he could do. They did what they could, and somehow they trusted God to do the rest. That service. You're going to feel a nudge. You're going to feel a nudge to do something. You're going to feel a nudge to go somewhere. It's not going to be just a whim because it's going to be kind of persistent. I want you to sign up. I want you to help out. I want you to go on that trip. I want you to talk to that person. I want you to be the person that gives. And a lot of times that little nudge is going to take you out of your comfort zone. That's what God nudges do. And so because of that, it's going to make you feel inadequate. And you're going to start making your excuses. And your excuses are going to be very, very good, very acceptable. And God's going to say, okay, 
just do what you know how to do and I'll do what only I can do. Just trust me. Trust me. See, God isn't just trying to love on somebody through you. He's trying to stretch you. He's trying to grow you. He's trying to build something in you. He's trying to do something inside of you that's grand. And when you start to trust him, all of a sudden life becomes alive. Becomes cool. Keep going. It says the crowd ate as much as they wanted, which is unbelievable. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. In other words, they got all of their food back. About 5,000 men were fed in that day in addition to all the women and the children. And do you know what the disciples did not do next? Things we might have been tempted to do. They didn't go around saying, we're pretty cool, aren't we? We're pretty amazing. And they didn't start thinking to themselves, you know, we could turn this into a business, you know? We don't need much product. You know, just a few loaves of bread and a few fish and we'll sell meals all month. We'll make a lot of money out of this thing. They took no credit. They presumed nothing. They took zero credit and they presumed nothing because they were fully aware we didn't do that. I was just there. Just did what I was asked to do. I just did what I could. But I'm telling you, God showed up and what happened was amazing. Now listen, guys. Jesus didn't perform a miracle simply to feed a crowd. He's trying to build something in these disciples and he's trying to build something in us. You do it. He's going to trust these disciples with a whole lot of responsibility in just a couple of years and they had some growing up to do. So a big piece of how Jesus is trying to grow them up is trying to teach his followers to trust him. He's trying to stretch them. He's trying to make them bigger men. I want to show you two more verses that are just flat out powerful. The first one's from the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote to some Jesus followers in a town that is called Ephesus. It's in what is now Turkey. And here's what he says. He says, we are God's handiwork. You were made by God. You were created by God, shaped by God, made by God. You were created in Christ Jesus. He was the one who actually did the work to do good works, to serve which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. It's huge. You were made by God to make a difference somehow, somewhere. Good News Bible puts it like this. It says, God has made us what we are. He has. And in un our union with Christ, Jesus has created us for a life of good deeds. That's what you were built for. It's what you were made for. Deeds that he's already prepared for you to do. You were made by God to serve. You were made by God to make a difference. You were made by God to live for something bigger than yourself. Here's the other verse. This one was written by the Apostle Peter, who was kind of the big dog of the early church. He says, God has given each one of you a gift. I believe that. He has given every single one of us, every single one of you, a gift out of his tremendous variety of spiritual gifts. And this is what he gave them to us for. Use them to serve one another. Every one of us has been gifted by God. Every one of us has been gifted by God not to serve ourselves, to enhance ourselves, but to live for something bigger than ourselves. All of us are gifted. Some of you guys are incredibly gifted. And God didn't give you those gifts to showcase you. 
He's trying to grow you up. He's trying to make your life mean something. He wants to partner with you to work through you. Do you have any idea how honored you should feel that God wants to enter into a partnership with you? But here's what's going to happen. If you do life with God, for God, God's way, he's going to start nudging you. And he's going to start trying to nudge you out of your comfort zone. Maybe you're going to hear someone talk about a need and you're just not going to be able to get that out of your mind. Or maybe you're going to feel a nudge to serve. It may be to serve in some ministry at a church or some opportunity in town or just a person or a family that you just feel nudged to respond to. And you're going to start making your excuses. I don't feel adequate. I'm not prepared. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not resourced enough. If I go there, I'm probably going to fail. I'll probably make a fool of myself. In fact, it may not be a nudge from God at all. This may just be my overactive conscience. That may just be something that I ate that is causing me to have this emotion. And then you're going to discover that that nudge just probably won't go away. In fact, I think probably some of you guys in this room right now are wrestling with God possible that you're kind of in a tug of war with God right now. You may feel like he's nudging you to do something, to plug in somewhere, to serve in some way. Maybe somewhere inside this church, maybe somewhere outside in our community. You're not sure you want to. In fact, you're really hoping it's not God's nudge at all. And you need to understand something. This is really big. This tension that you feel is not just about somebody needing your help. God's trying to stretch you. God's trying to grow you. He's trying to build your trust in him. This is not just about helping people. This is about God moving us out of our comfort zones. He's trying to take us to the next level. He's trying to grow us up to mature us as Jesus followers. And think about this too. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need any of our help. This is the God who spoke the universe into existence, right? He's the God who can snap his fingers and the mountains are going to dance. He can make anything so just by saying it so. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need our love. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our service. He's God. We need to worship him. We need to pray to him. We need to love him. We need to praise him. And we need to serve him. Because it enriches us. It grows us. It fills us. Because that's why we were made. And God delights in doing life with us. Through us. We find purpose and fullness when we do life with him. And for him. It's how we were made. Guys, there are people out there who study a lot of this stuff, just the power of serving, the positive benefits of serving someone other than yourself. And they're going to tell you it's huge. Did you know that serving outside of yourself, serving somebody other than yourself, reduces stress, reduces depression, reduces anxiety, reduces anger, it enhances happiness, it makes us healthier physically, it actually extends our lifespan. It's weird. Raises our self-esteem. It reduces our loneliness as we connect both with the people we're serving and the people we're serving with. It breaks the pettiness of self-absorption, makes our life bigger, and it's fun. That's what they discover. 
And every bit of that stuff is little. Because there's also a deep, immense satisfaction that you experience when you are actually allowing yourself to be used by God. As unworthy as you are, as inadequate as you are, as ill-equipped as you feel, you are being used by the creator himself, which is incredible. We were made to live for something bigger than ourselves. We, were, we will only grow into what God meant us to be when we start living for something bigger than ourselves. You see, when God is nudging you to serve, he is inviting you to one of his greatest gifts. And here's what we've discovered. Serving is probably the most powerful of all of the growth catalysts. If you want to be rooted, if you want to be strong, if you want to experience the kind of life that God made you for, you've got to go when God nudges. Now, we used to think that the most important catalyst for growth was knowledge. Get them into the Word, teach them more stuff about God, give them more answers to their questions, and they'll grow. And that stuff's important. But here's the deal. Learning more and more and more about God without serving him, when he nudges, is kind of like eating and eating and eating and eating without exercising. Right? If you do that physically, you know what you get? You get this. Right? You get fat. Maybe self-absorbed. God wants us to do more than get into the word. He wants us to serve him. That's our exercise spiritually. Now I want to wind down my part of this with a warning and a promise. Here's the warning. Too often we tell God that we're willing to serve as long as it doesn't step too far out of my comfort zone, right? That's not my part because that's going to make me uncomfortable. I'm willing to serve God as long as it kind of sounds okay, sounds fun to me. If it doesn't cost too much time, too much money, too much discomfort, because we forget we are Jesus' followers. We're Jesus' followers. You know what the heart of a Jesus' follower is? You know what the essence of it is? Wherever, whatever, whenever, however, I'm going to go it because he's king. It's a surrendering of my life to him. I'll go where I'm needed most, not where it's easiest. When he nudges, just do what you can do. And watch him do what only he can do. And here's the promise. This is from the book of Hebrews. This is cool. The Bible says God won't forget. God won't forget how hard you've worked for him. He won't forget how you've shown your love for him by caring for other believers. And you still do. God sees and God doesn't forget. <laughs> Someday you'll look back. You will not regret those times that you said yes to God when he nudged. You might regret those times you pushed back, but you'll never regret those times you told God yes. So let him use you. Let him grow you up. Let him lead you into the life that you were built for by God. Now in just a moment, John is going to come up here. John Suffin is our executive pastor. He kind of oversees the serve part of our strategy here at Capital City. And he's going to talk just a moment about what serving looks like, both inside these walls and, and out in our community. But I want to tell you that our strategy for serving here is a little different 
than in a lot of churches. It used to be here at Capital City even that we would tap on the same people to serve all of the time. It's the old 80-20 principle. About 20% of the people do all of the service, right? We keep on going back over and over and over again to the same 20%. Same people serving all the time. Not anymore. We won't wait until we know you. We won't wait until somehow you have proved yourself to us. Our strategy for serving here at Capital City is pretty simple. As many as possible, as young as possible, as soon as possible. We want you to serve. Because it is the single most powerful growth catalyst we've got. We don't want to wait till you think you're ready. We won't wait till we think you're ready. It's actually been part of our strategy for our kids for some time. If you're a junior or a senior hire here at Capital City, you're not going to find a Sunday school class on Sunday mornings because if you're here for one hour, we want you to worship here with us, intergenerational worship. If you're here for two hours, the second hour that you're here, we want you to be serving somewhere because serving makes this place home. And serving grows them up. Same for our adults, exactly the same for our adults. In fact, it's exactly the same even for those of you here in this room who are not Jesus followers yet. We would like you to jump in and serve with us. We won't ask you to preach or teach yet, but we'd love to have you on one of our guest services teams, tech teams, worship team, some other team. We'd love to have anybody here participate in one of our all on deck events like the Jesus Prom. We'd like anyone here to jump in on one of our missions team, jump in on one of our serve days like we're having today. You see, we want you to get a taste of what it's like to be used by God. We want you to feel what it feels like to work alongside other Jesus followers who are trying to live for something bigger than themselves because it grows us up.